So um, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 4 to chapter 2, verse 4 as well. And um, if you have your own Bible, we're not encouraging you to use the seat Bible since those are shared. And uh, New York State says we shouldn't be passing things around still. But if you have your own Bible or your phone, uh, feel free to open up to Hebrews 1. If you have read or watched J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, maybe you remember in the last third of that epic story in Return of the King, there's that dark period when the whole fate of Middle-earth rests on the small shoulders of a hobbit named Frodo. And Frodo is so discouraged, he wants to give up. He's carrying an evil magic ring called the Ring of Power. He's trying to bring it back to the place where it was made so it can be destroyed. That place is heavily fortified. The ring itself has dark, a dark, heavy, corrupting effect on whatever carries it, whoever's carrying it. And it's weighing, and all of this is weighing down Frodo. And the ring is messing with his mind. Not to mention that the evil hordes are seeking in every way to catch and destroy Frodo to get the ring. And so Frodo's exhausted, he's discouraged, he's not even thinking clearly, the, the, the ring is, is clouding his mind. And it's at that moment that Frodo's traveling companion, another hobbit named Sam, has to step in and figure out how to encourage his friend Frodo and keep him going to remind Frodo that their mission is too good and too important to give up on. Well, that's very much like what the author of Hebrews is trying to do in today's passage for his or her first hearers. Remember, Hebrews is kind of a sermon that was written down and was sent to a congregation. And it's addressed to some followers of Jesus, possibly in Rome, who used to attend the, the Jewish synagogue, but had to leave it because they were following Jesus. But following Jesus had gotten hard. It had gotten costly. They were being persecuted. And they're tired. They're tired of fe fearing a knock on their door in the middle of the night, fearing, uh, tired of, of the disappointments of, of things that they've had to give up or have been taken away from them, tired of the sacrifices. And many of us can't fully relate to them, but maybe we can relate a little bit to the feeling of spiritual discouragement to some extent. Uh, when things are hard and our faith in Jesus doesn't seem to be making it better, our faith doesn't seem to be working the way we thought or we were told that it was going to work. Maybe God seems far off to us. Maybe we're tired of, of making sacrifices for Jesus. We want to do something for ourselves for a change. And so maybe we're tempted to do what Hebrews 2.1 calls drifting away. It's, uh, I'll silence this. It's a nautical word in the Greek, the original Greek of Hebrews. It's used of ships which aren't properly anchored. And so maybe without the crew even realizing it, the wind and the tides start to make the ships drift, and pretty soon they aren't where they're supposed to be. And that's what Hebrews is speaking to, 
to us in this passage. And here's Hebrews' answer when we might be tempted to start to drift. It tells us to listen, to listen up, to listen afresh. Listen to what God has told us, what, what God has said to us. In particular, listen to what God has told us about Jesus. Because God has spoken to us. If you remember back last Sunday, when we looked at the first few verses of Hebrews, it began with these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. And so picking up on that thought of God speaking in, in chapter 2, verse 1 now, Hebrews exhorts us, we must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. God has spoken to us about Jesus, his son, and by Jesus, his son. So listen, pay careful attention to what you've heard. Listen carefully. Because Jesus is too good to drift away from or give up on. Now, if you remember last Sunday, it's not that the Hebrews are giving up on religion. They're just being tempted to give up on Jesus. In their case, they're being tempted to go back to the synagogue. And that's why there's all this talk about angels in our passage, because at that time, Jewish religion focused a lot on angels. And it also focused a lot on the Torah, the, the law of Moses, which they believed had been given to Moses through angels. And that's why we have in chapter 2, verse 2, this first half of a sentence, if the message spoken through angels was binding, that's what they believed, that the law of Moses had been spoken through angels. If the law of Moses was binding, is, is what he's saying here. See, the, the writer of Hebrews is addressing this temptation among those that he's writing to, to go back to a religion which is content with angels and laws about right and wrong but which doesn't have the costly aspect of worshiping and following Jesus as Lord. For us, it might not be the synagogue, but, but just a comfortable Christianity, which we might uh, be tempted to fall back into. One that, that doesn't demand too much, um, one that doesn't cost too much, some mystery, some angels, some morality, some moral laws, that's a nice satisfying religion. Rather than us following hard after Jesus, who, to be honest, asks a lot and demands a lot and expects our whole lives, because after all, he's a king. So why? Why keep following Jesus when it's costly? Why give him our everything? Especially, why keep following him when it doesn't seem to be working for us? When it doesn't feel like Jesus um, is in charge or his presence or, or doing much? Why follow Jesus as your Lord when he doesn't seem to be Lord of very much sometimes? When he doesn't seem to be in charge of everything? That's what the writer of Hebrews 
is addressing in our passage this morning. And he does it, or she does it, again, we don't know who wrote this letter, first by taking us back to scripture. Remember, in New Testament times, the New Testament was just being written, and it wasn't part of their Bible yet, so their Bible was the Old Testament. And, and so that's what Hebrews points them and us toward. In fact, the author of Hebrews strings together seven Bible quotations here in rapid succession, which makes this chapter a little hard to follow. But the first six are in three pairs. And to summarize, what they tell us is that Jesus is awesome. Maybe we don't always see it. Maybe we don't always feel it. That's why Hebrews is going to remind us of it. To remind us, that, uh, remind us what God has said about Jesus and by Jesus. So that we're encouraged again that following Jesus is totally worth it. And that Jesus is too good to give up on. Let's let Hebrews do that for us this morning. Let's start by looking at the first pair of quotations in verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now maybe this um, isn't obvious to us, but in these two quotations... What Hebrews wants us to know about Jesus is that Jesus is the king, the great king, the long-awaited messianic king. That's what these two Old Testament quotations were, were looking toward back in the Old Testament. Jesus is God's son, too, and we'll get to that later. But originally, both quotes here referred to a son of David. A royal ancestor of the line of David, maybe David's son Solomon, maybe another descendant after him, because repeatedly in the Old Testament, God talks about treating David's descendants as his sons and being a father to them. And this is covenant language. This is God saying to, to one of David's descendants, you are my king and I am with you. You need to administer your kingdom according to my good laws, and I will establish and bless and protect you. I will be a father to you, and you will be a son to me. That's Old Testament kingship language for all the promises around the Davidic royal line. But of course, all the human descendants of David failed. And so the Old Testament began to look forward someday to the coming of one great final king of David, a Messiah, one who would finally succeed and live up to all these Old Testament prophecies. And Hebrews is saying, that's Jesus. He's the great king. He's the expected one. God's with him fully. God's behind him completely as a father is to a son. Jesus is the horse you should bet on. He's greater than any angel. Because moving now to the second set of quotations, we find out the angels are there to serve and to worship the son, the king. Verses 6 and 7. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. But in speaking of the angels, God says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. 
And servants here in Hebrew parallelism is, is another way of talking about these ministering angels. They're servants. In other words, God didn't put the angels in charge of the world. Rather, their job is to serve Jesus, the king, and to worship him. He's in charge. Jesus is in charge. The angels are in a support role here. That's the chain of command. That's the organizational chart that we have to keep in mind, Hebrews is telling us. Now, if you back up and uh, if you go back and you look up the two Old Testament quotations that Hebrews is, is using here in uh, where, which verses are we in, 6 and 7, you'll likely get confused because they don't read exactly like your, your Bible says. In other words, you look at it in Hebrews, you go back and you look it up in the Old Testament, and it's not exactly the same. And so let me pause um, and give you a, a little 2.0 explainer of why this is, a, a short advanced lesson, because it's helpful in reading the book of Hebrews, which quotes the Old Testament so often and bases its argument on that. So two things that we need to know. First, the Bible, the Old Testament... Um, that the book of Hebrews is using and quoting from is written in Greek. It's the Greek Bible. Because that's the language of, of the author of Hebrews. Greek, not English, not Hebrew. Meanwhile, our English Old Testaments are translated into English from the Hebrew Bible. And, and so when you compare your English Old Testament to Hebrews, you're comparing it to Hebrews, which is an English translation of a Greek book. I hope that was clear, or, or I hope at least the, the point is that, that we can get from this, um, that there are a lot of steps in translation here, multiple steps. And so you can wind up with some differences, and, and this is why there are differences. So we're just going to have to take the author of Hebrews' word for it, that the Bible that the author is reading, which is the Greek Bible, that's why... It comes through in English the way it does compared to our English Old Testaments. So we have to take, take the author's word for it that, that he or she is reading their Bible correctly. Um, all right, so then the second thing I want to mention, which can be confusing, is that what you'll find is that some of the places, if you go back and you read the Old Testament and you see that it's talking about God, the author of Hebrews is substituting Jesus. And, and here we see the author of Hebrews believes that Jesus is God. For example, down in verse 10, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth. Originally, that verse in the Old Testament was referring to the Lord as God, but the author of Hebrews is applying it to Jesus. And, and, and the point here to get is um, the author of Hebrews isn't trying to prove that Jesus is God. Rather, he or she already is assuming it. They're assuming that Jesus is God, not trying to prove it. So they just freely can separate a, a substitute in Jesus where the Old Testament is talking about God. Just to go back to verses 1 to 3, which we looked at last week, the author of Hebrews has already concluded that Jesus is God, and, and so now they feel free to make this substitution. So those two points I just wanted to mention, because otherwise it's easy to get confused when, when you're reading Hebrews and looking up the Old Testament texts, um, trying to follow the argument. So hopefully those two things will help. 
All right, back to the point of verses six and seven. It's like an organizational chart. Jesus is in charge. He's the high king. In fact, he's God. He's worthy of worship. And even the angels worship him. The angels are there to serve him, to be his messengers, and to give him worship. So why would we settle, this is the point, for a religion based on angels when the angels are there to point us to Jesus? And that brings us to verses 8 to 12, the third pair of quotations from the Old Testament. And they're longer ones. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me give you a few of the key highlights. Verse 8, but about the Son, God says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And then down in verses 11 and 13, the earth and the heavens will perish and wear out, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Notice the contrast here. Jesus sits on God's throne forever and ever. Jesus' years will never end. But the angels, to go back to verse 7, by contrast, are like flames of fire that flicker and dance. Interestingly, the Jews of that time often compared the angels to winds or to fires. They're, they're powerful, they're brilliant, but they come and they go. You, you can't count on them. You never know when one's going to show up or when it's then going to disappear. Compared to angels, Jesus is solid. Jesus is immovable. Jesus is dependable. Jesus is always on his throne. And he goes on on his throne forever. He's always, he'll always be there. And in fact, verse 10, he's already always been around forever too. He's the creator while the angels are creatures. Through Jesus, God laid the foundations of the earth, verse 10. So, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He was there at creation and he will outlast creation. Jesus and his kingdom will be dependable and steadfast forever and ever. And so to sum it all up, verse 13, which is the seventh Old Testament quote here in this little passage in this chapter, to which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Again, Jesus is king forever until his reign is undisputed and all of his enemies are under his feet and he reigns over them all forever. That's who Jesus is. That's why he's better than angels. That's why we should stick with him. That's why he's too good to give up on. I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know it often doesn't seem like Jesus is in charge. In fact, sticking close to Jesus can get you in trouble in this present world. But he's worth it. Stick with him. He's the winning team in the end. And that's what Hebrews reminds us of in, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, as we look at the end of this passage for this morning. And this is the point that Hebrews has been driving at all through the first chapter. Listen, pay careful attention, listen to what God says about Jesus. Be careful that you don't drift away, 
to some other sort of religion or some other sort of life. Don't be content with angels. Don't be content with religious laws and rules and commands. Do this, don't do that, that angels may have had a hand in passing on to us back in the days of Moses. Don't settle for a little mystery and a little morality. Someone so much greater is on the throne now. Worship him, follow him. And then the author of Hebrews gives us a warning. He or she says, okay, let's talk about the Old Testament law of Moses. What happened when the Israelites didn't listen to the law that God handed down to them by angels? When they violated the law of Moses and disobeyed it, they were justly punished, sometimes seriously so. Well, if that's what happened to them, what's going to happen to you and me now that God has said something so much greater than what God said through Moses and any involvement angels had, so much greater now through his own son, our king, Jesus. If we ignore that word, if we don't listen to Jesus, if we ignore the great, great salvation that God gave us by sending us his own son into the world, we'll be in far bigger trouble if we ignore a word that great. Don't ignore it, Hebrews exhorts us. Don't ignore Jesus. Don't drift away. Listen up. Chapter 2, verse 3. This salvation was announced by the Lord, by Jesus himself. Then it was confirmed by the eyewitnesses who knew Jesus personally, who heard his teaching, who saw his miracles. And God also testified to it by signs and wonders and miracles, and then by giving gifts of the Holy Spirit to Jesus' followers. In all these ways, Hebrews is saying, God has spoken to us about Jesus, and God has spoken to us by Jesus and in Jesus. So listen, pay attention, don't drift away. Don't close your ears to Jesus and go back to some sort of comfortable religion. That's the message of this passage this morning. And so we face a decision very much like the decision many faced near the end of the American Civil War. So imagine you're, you're living in the South during the war. And uh, when the South left the Union, they developed their own currency, independent of, of the U.S. dollar. It was Confederate currency. They were called graybacks. They were different from the U.S. dollar, which were called greenbacks. And of course, if the South won the war, that currency would remain valuable and continue to be the currency of the new South. But on the other hand, if the South lost the war, the Confederate dollar would quickly become almost worthless. And so as the war wears on and as it draws near to an end, if I'm in the South and I've got my life savings in Confederate currency, I've got a decision to make, a big decision. And my whole financial livelihood and that of my family is, is going to depend on it. Do I keep my Confederate currency while it still has some value? Uh, sorry, do I keep my Confederate currency or because it still has some value, do I exchange it for US dollars? Because I think it's going to lose its value. So do I keep it or do I get rid of it and change it for US dollars? Well, the answer of which currency 
um, and which government I'm going to bank on will depend on who I think is going to win the war, right? Which do I bank on, the North or the South? A lot is going to ride for me on that decision. Wouldn't it be great if I had a crystal ball to be able to foresee the future and be able to foretell the outcome of this war? Well, this, in a way, is what the author of Hebrews is offering us. Hebrews is, is saying, don't forget, we know how this turns out. <laughs> we know who wins in the end. We know which kingdom prevails. So stick with the king. Stick with the savior. His reign is all that's going to last. Don't give up on what you have for some other religion that in the end won't be worth it. That would be foolish. You have eternal life now. You have a place in, in Christ's eternal kingdom. Don't throw away so great a salvation. Jesus is too good to give up. Let's pray. God, thank you for this reminder and the many reminders along these lines that the book of Hebrews gives us. And um, we're talking this morning like we belong to this king and we have the salvation he's offered us. But that might not be true of all of us. And um, if we don't know who Jesus is yet, or we haven't accepted him as our king and asked him to forgive our sins and to be our savior, I want to invite us to do that right now, whether we're on Zoom or whether we're here in this room. We can just say, Jesus, um, I want to be part of the winning team in the end. I want to know the one through whom God has spoken. I want to um, have you be my king, have you forgive all my sins, and to give me a place in your eternal future. And I'll get to know you, and I'll see how I can help you as you change my life and help me be a part of spreading your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.